everybody. Welcome back to Community Possibilities. You know, when I started the podcast, I really had as my goal to speak to community leaders doing the hard work of community change. And today I have one of those change leaders as my guest. Jason Byers is currently the school climate director at Northeast Georgia RESA, where he leads schools to improve safety and climate. Jason is a lifelong educator and leader in education. He was formerly with the Georgia Department of Education, but before that, he has been a teacher, an administrator, a coach, a principal, a principal investigator of a large SAMHSA study. He has done all of the things. So today we're going to be talking about school climate, what it is, why it's important for our kids. He's going to be talking about positive behavior intervention and support. We're going to reference a podcast I did in the very beginning with Michael Waller, who's the CEO of Georgia Appleseed. So we're going to be talking about uh, kids' mental health and all of the things. And our kids have really struggled the last couple of years. And we're going to talk about how educators and parents and community members can help our kids. So we're going to jump right in. Enjoy the show. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Community Possibilities. I am so happy to have uh, Jason Byers with me. Hey, Jason. Good afternoon, Ann. Good to see you. So uh, Jason and I were just chatting about uh, being on podcasts, and I was telling him how this ended up on my vision board. I don't, I really don't know where that came from. Um, I always think those are God moments, Jason. <laughs> Yeah. And, and you know what, what I've learned is you, you, you really need to listen to those when they happen because they're there for a reason. Exactly. And I, and I feel that way about everybody we meet. So I'm very excited that um, Michael Waller, our mutual friend, introduced us. So I will put a link to Michael's interview. He was actually one of my very first podcast guests. And uh, Michael is the executive director of uh, Georgia Appleseed, one of my favorite nonprofits in the whole world. And he said, you are a tireless advocate for school discipline reform. Well, uh, well my, uh, that, what a great person to start with, first of all. Um, and, uh, and uh, you know, um, I really do try and always keep the kids in mind um, and advocate for them. And, and I think um, through my career, getting to know students personally really helps you to to, to not get tired in the, in this application of what they, you know, exactly. for, for they need. So. Yeah. Keep, keep the kids front and center. So yeah. before we uh, get into the nitty gritty here, I'd like you to introduce yourself to my audience. And I always tell people, I don't want to read your resume. Resumes yeah. are boring. Nobody wants to read your resume. Um, I, I feel like we're all called to this work for a reason. So yeah. tell us a little bit about how you ended up in education. Yeah. So, uh, so I, you know, I think, you know, kind of what you said just a few minutes ago, and I think that um, I kind of always knew my mom always told me, Jason, you're either going to be a teacher or a preacher. And, um, and, uh, and so I, I think in this work, it's a little bit of both. Um, Amen. And, um, and so I really have, I really just believe that, um, that it was just what I was called to do. And then, you know, I had a lot of experiences that have kind of led me to, to the work now and really advocating for behavior and mental health. Um, my own father died of suicide when I was very young. And looking back, he was probably living with a mental illness um, that was masked in alcoholism. And I have a brother um, who is currently hospitalized with very severe um, acute mental illness. And looking at his life, his behaviors were communicating something was going on and, and no one picked up on it. We weren't trained as educators. His teachers and coaches weren't trained to go there's something else going on here. And so, um, so really that is kind of why my mission is what it is, is I don't want people to, 
to live the same road that my brother has lived and that me and my other brothers um, have experienced and, and that my own father experienced. And so we've got to educate and we've got to start looking at behavior as communication. And, and, and mm-hmm. kids are trying to tell us something with the way they behave. Mm-hmm. We've got to be trained to listen. Yeah. Behavior as communication. Wow. That's wow. That's so powerful. I just have to let that sink in a minute. Behavior as communication. Yeah. And you know, that, that I appreciate you sharing that and and being honest about that. I just uh, was talking to someone last night, uh, someone who I sit on a nonprofit board with, and I was um, talking about the nonprofit and our, we're in the middle of rebranding and all that thing, all those things. And I said, you know, we have to do the hard work and we have to start with the fact that we all come to this work for a reason. And you just shared that. I mean, I certainly have uh, substance abuse all over my family. Uh, And it's, you know, the trauma is intergenerational. You know, if we don't, if we don't deal with it, you know, it comes back to haunt and kids don't leave that stuff at home. They don't. They bring it with them. Right. And and neither do adults. And, you know, as as adults, we bring all of that with us when we're dealing with kids. And yes. um, and, And if we're, you know, probably if we really knew and we were able to peel back the curtains of people's lives, we would. You and I may not be surprised, but but some people may be surprised at just how many people this touches and um and you know people that we encounter every day we may have no idea what they're dealing with and what burden they're carrying and and if we can help lighten the load and carry the burden with them then i think we should yeah absolutely agreed so you were at georgia department of education first do you want to talk a little bit about that your role there and, and what you're doing now Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So I went to the Department of Education back in 2019. Um, perfect and, uh, timing, Jason. Exactly. Perfect timing. And, uh, you know, it, and, and, t- you know, timing is always perfect. And I, I, I think I was there at the right time for the right job. And, and really when I went I, and I met with Gary McGibbony and, and, uh, and Zelfine, I, I told them that I think that the behavior work um, has to be, the, the mental health work has to be incorporated in the behavior work. And really that was my mission while I was there was to incorporate mental health supports into the behavior supports that we were seeing and using in the PBIS framework. And, um, and, and also to, to make it very clear that PBIS is a framework and it's not a reward system. It's, it's not a carrot and stick for schools. And that message had kind of gotten out there. And I really worked hard um, during my three and a half years to try and kind of end that message and, and remind people that the whole idea is behavior can be learned. Therefore, it should be taught that mm. we just can't set an expectation that kids know how to behave, regardless if they're five or 15, eight or 18, that we, if we're going to hold them to an expectation, and I think we should, I think we should hold kids to very high expectations, but we have to teach that. You have to teach whatever your expectation is and give the kids the skills to do it. And so that was really, that was the impetus of my work um, while at the department of education. And, um, and I got to, um, got the, the opportunity to retire back in May. And, uh, and so I retired and, and I stayed retired for about two months and that was all <laughs> I could take. And, uh, and, and Northeast Georgia, Risa, I had the opportunity to meet um, our executive director, Laurie Allison. And we had such a great conversation and, and she's, you know, I think she liked the work that we were doing at the state. And, and she saw that as really important up here in Northeast Georgia and so she let me join her team and, and I, you know, I couldn't be happier. And so I'm trying to continue what I began at the DOE. Now I'm trying to just continue that for these 15 um, districts within our RESA, just seeing how I can help and support. And, and I love having a job and, I, and I've, I've had a job for, you know, 31 years now where I wake up every day and I go, how can I go help somebody? How can I go and just help somebody that needs help today? And that's really my, my goal here, Reese, is what can I do every single day to, to, to try and help one, someone or a school district? Yeah. And for those of you, um, or for those who don't know, rather, or um, 
maybe they're not in in Georgia they don't understand our system what is a what is a reset and what yeah. do they do it sounds like a really yummy candy bar but I don't think it's that <laughs> I know what it is yeah so yeah we, we you know we talk in alphabet soup and education yep. and and, yeah. and I appreciate that reminder not everyone knows uh, the, the lingo so Georgia is divided into 16 regional education service agencies all throughout the state and they're made up of you know, five to, you know, 15 or so school districts. And then the RESA supports the professional learning and training of those districts. So if we want to offer a, um, a behavior training, I would offer that to those districts in my RESA. And then, you know, I have 15 other people um, across the state, one in each of the RESAs that are doing the same thing. So RESAs are regional educational service agencies, and we support those school districts that um, that are that are around us. And um, I'm in um, Winterville, Georgia, just outside of Athens, and so we support the northeast um, part of our state. Mm -hmm. And um, so thanks for that reminder. Uh, <laughs> hey, no, no, no worries. No worries <laughs> at all. And actually, I want to um, uh, dig into a few more definitions because that'll really help everyone understand the conversation and the why behind the conversation. So we were talking about uh, PBIS earlier. For those of uh, listeners who did not um, hear that conversation I have with Michael Waller, because we did talk about PBI PBIS. Let's start with that one and then we'll talk about school climate and SEL and all the other alphabet soups that we have. So let's start with PBIS since you, you've mentioned that. So uh, tell the audience what is PBIS, maybe a little bit about the tiers and how, you know, it's ideally best practice for implementation. Yeah, that's a, that's a great place to start in. So uh, PBIS or positive behavioral interventions and supports is a framework and it's the way that we operate and, and, and that framework came from the medical field. And so in the medical field, when you go to the dentist, all of us should be doing things like brushing and flossing, going to the dentist regular. We, can, we consider that tier one. That's what everybody should be getting. But, but oftentimes we may have um, a medical condition with our teeth that um, requires a little bit more support. And that may be, um, you know, a filling or when you chip a tooth. And so we consider that like tier two supports. It's more than what everybody's getting. And then some of us may have to get some really significant work, maybe a root canal or a bridge or dentures. That's considered tier three or very intensive support. And so PBIS is really modeled after that. It's what all students get at tier one. What, what are those supports and instructions that they receive at tier one? And then for students who need just a little additional support, what can we offer them at tier two? Maybe it's um, a little more time with the teacher. Um, maybe it's a check-in, check-out, connecting them with a trusted adult. What additional supports can we give them to help them be successful? And then for the, that very few, that 5% of students who really need that intensive one-on-one -on -one support, what is it that we can do for them um, to provide um, intensive behavioral support? And so MTSS, multi-tiered systems of support, um, include academic and behavioral. And now we say there's a third part of this pyramid, and that's the mental health. So tier one, tier two, tier three, what do we need for students to be successful behaviorally, ac academically, and in mental health? And we tier those supports and we provide supports to students so that we make sure that every child is being successful. But it's the framework in which schools and districts operate. So PBIS, just like MTS, it's a framework and we operate within that framework. Right. That was really helpful, although I did find myself gritting my teeth there for a second when you said the word root canal. But but that metaphor was really helpful. I think it'll help people kind of hang their hat around it. And, you know, the other um, picture that came to my mind was, uh, you know, we see so many different pictures of equity these days. But it's really it's not about treating all kids the same, although you're, you're saying everybody gets the same thing at tier one. But you're also providing 
each student what they need. Ideally, each student what they need to succeed in all those areas, which I, is I, which is equity. That that's it. That's it. Yeah. And and that's really what we're striving for. Great. All right. So let's define a couple of other terms, and then maybe we can figure out how all these puzzle pieces fit together. So um, so school climate. What is school climate? How does that have anything to do with PBIS? Yeah, so to me, school climate is everything that contributes to, to um, a, a, a child's learning experience in school. It's everything from um, the condition of the buses. Um, it's the way the school looks and smells when you walk in. It's the people that are involved. It's the experiences. Everything that contributes to what I call the curriculum of school, and and you know everything is curriculum is not just the words that you read or the lessons that you teach. It's immersive, and um, and it's interesting because I think um, the the best picture that I can paint of um, what really school climate is is this and um whenever my my daughter is a, a cast member down at epcot and um and she is living her best life trust me and um and when she um, she did their internship program and she went to disney university and um, it wasn't too long ago um uh, that i was reading a book um by Chip and Dan Heath, and, and, and they were talking about really what um, school climate and school culture and what climate and culture is. And it's interesting because they told the story of when you walk into Disney, you may not um, even realize it, but the first thing that you smell is popcorn. And they always have popcorn machines right at the entrance to Disney. And as you're walking in, you walk through tunnels. And I don't know if you've ever noticed, but if you look left and right, there are actually movie bills hanging. Because Disney is designed as, as if you're in the movies. That's why there's mm -hmm. Fantasy World and Pioneer World. And, and there's these different worlds. And it's even interesting because... The um, you know, there's certain areas when you're in Pioneer, you can't see the castle because castles don't exist there. When you're in when you're over at Space Mountain, you can't see the castle because castles don't exist mm -hmm. in space, and that's all by design. And so I was reading, um, and 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 I called my daughter and I said, "Have you learned about this?" And she said, absolutely, Dad. She says, it's called this. It's called Disney Immersion, and we're the best in the world at it. Mm. And she said, anytime you're in a queue line, you get immersed in the story of the ride that you're about to, to mm. ride. And everything is planned to immerse you in that. Mm. And so when I think about what is school climate, and I think, what is it that we as principals and educational leaders and teachers thoughtfully and carefully plan for our students to be immersed in as soon as they walk in our school? Mm -hmm. And to me, that's what climbing is. Mm -hmm. And we have to be intentional about it. We have to be intentional about planning for that climate and that immersion because it's not going to happen on accident. Um, and if you don't plan for it, then the, you know, the culture and the climate is going to be whatever the community is bringing in. Mm -hmm. And so we have to be intentional about that. And, and I love that, that thinking of that as what is it that I want my students to be immersed in as soon as they start coming to my school? And right. I think that's what the climate is. Exactly. So if they walk in the door and uh, the message is immediately, uh, you know, that this is not a safe space in, in, in however we want to define that, whether or not there be um, 
you know, uh, rules everywhere. I'm thinking of like, you know, the, the Harry Potter movie where they had all the rules like, ah, right. You know, it's a, the, the, the message is it's a very punitive environment versus a climate. When you walk in, it's very warm. It's very welcoming. Uh, and it feels like we're ready to work today. We're, we're yeah. excited to be here. We're ready to work. We're ready to achieve. Right. Uh, yeah. Uh, and, and I would, and I think school climate is also, um, when I think about, cause I actually, um, it, when I worked on my dissertation years ago, uh, school climate was one of the things that I looked at. And it's also like how, uh, how the interaction happens between other students, whether or not there's, uh, they feel accepted, whether or not they're bullied, whether or not they have an adult, a trusted adult, a, a teacher, even a janitor or a bus driver is part of that school climate. Yeah, and it's it, you know, funny that you mentioned that just before um, before you and I had the opportunity to have this conversation today, I was working on um, a couple of reports for a couple of school districts from the G Georgia Student Health Survey, mm -hmm. and those are the questions that I pull. Who's your trusted adult? Um, you know, do you feel safe in your school? Have you been harassed or bullied? Those are the mm -hmm. questions that I pull um, and send to the districts so that um, they get a, a clear picture of really what is the climate and culture of their school. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so let's get one more in here. Um, SEL, social and emotional learning. Oh my gosh, that has been such a hot topic in schools over the last few years. SEL, what is that? Yeah, you know, it's funny. It's been a hot topic and there's no reason for it to be a hot topic. And, um, you know, it, it's we've we've talked about um, and we've known that school is a place where we have to teach academic skills. So students who can't read or write or um, we, we have to teach that they have a skill deficit. We're, we're starting to change our attitude around behavior and understand that behavior um, has to be taught as well. And if a student can't behave, look at it as a skill deficit and teach the skills so that students can behave. The same thing is true for social and emotional learning. If a student does not have the skills to be able to control their emotions, we have to teach those skills. We have to teach coping mechanisms. Um, you know, there's a there's a saying right now um, that that I that I keep hearing. Um, if Johnny is mad or sad, Johnny can't add. Oh, <laughs> and and if the students and the adults are coming and they're coming with these social and emotional um, backpacks that they're carrying into school with them and they can't deal with it in a healthy way, then they turn into unhealthy mechanisms. I, I mentioned at the start about my own father. He, he probably was living with what we now call bipolar disorder mm -hmm. and, and probably even some, um, some schizophrenic tendencies. He didn't have the skills and to deal with that. He didn't have the social and emotional knowledge to deal with that. And so he self-medicated by turning to drinking. Same thing happened with my brother. Unhealthy coping mechanisms creep in when we don't have the skills to do it. And all we're trying to do with social emotional learning is say, when you need to be able to recognize how you're feeling. And we need to teach you skills to be able to cope with that. So you do it in a healthy way, not in an unhealthy way. And, uh, and, and so for me, that academic, that behavior, and now that mental health and that social and emotional learning that needs to take place, what we found is, um, and the stigma that has been carried, especially around our mental illnesses, has been so great that no one's... Um, no one is admitting, and what we're realizing is if, if we can get the students in schools where they already are and they're already being taught, the stigma is greatly reduced when we open up that conversation, not just for the students, but also with their parents and the adults as well. It's the perfect place to teach these competencies. Mm -hmm. We're just trying to build skills. I can imagine um, uh, 
if my mother were still alive and she heard this conversation, I can just hear her like, what the heck? You just need to behave. And if you don't behave, I was thinking about this earlier as I was thinking about our conversation that we were going to have when I, I'm going to give away my, well, I hope I'm not going to tell you how old I am, but I'm probably older than you are. Um, I, I remember there being paddles. Like if you didn't behave in school, you got paddled. Now I, I was not going to get paddled. I was a very good student. <laughs> That terrified me, but that was the reality. If you didn't get, if you didn't behave, you got sent to the principal's office. You sat on the bench and you waited to get paddled. You were just expected to behave. And I imagine um, that hopefully we've we're we've all grown and we've all learned, um, and we're getting better every day. But I can imagine there's still pushback by parents, by people in the community. Um, I would imagine even by principals and teachers, and I can't say I kind of blame them um, to sit in front of a classroom and you have so much pressure on you to get these kids to perform and test scores and all of that. They probably just want them to behave too. So I don't know if you can address maybe the pushback that that you, you might get from parents or even schools. Yeah, so he, here's the great news, Anne. Uh, I, I began this work um really in 2015 officially really focusing my career on it and I did that um, in uh, Griffin Georgia and um, with a um, substance abuse and mental health services grant called Project Aware and we began that work um, we were one of the first districts in our state and so we had tremendous pushback um, from leaders. We had tremendous pushback from parents. And here's what I can tell you now, seven years later, it is, it's really part of the conversation. Now, do we still have pockets that are, that have pushback? We do. And a lot of it, Anne, is misunderstanding what we're really trying to achieve. Um, we still have some of the old school, well, I told them, therefore they should. But that's really the minority um, now. Um, I think the 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 entire um, country is bringing these conversations in the fold, and it's, it's very rare now that you watch an evening news or newscast that you don't see some story dealing with mental health, social emotional, these competencies, behavior competencies. Take a look at the news right now. Last night. The news was on and it was about fights in schools and why are students so aggressive and and the behaviors. Well, um, we're, we're, we're coming out of a pandemic, but when we take a look at our discipline data, the, the, those behaviors have been there. I think now they're in a they're they're under a microscope and we're really looking at them, um, but they've been there. So I think people are opening up. To there's more to behavior than I told you to, and I expect you to do it. And if you don't do it, I'm gonna paddle you. Mm -hmm. um, we, we're we've really I think made the turn in, in the state of Georgia, and I'm really proud of our state um, and and the work that's going on. People seem really committed to making sure that um, that kids get exactly what they need mm -hmm. to be successful. How are your how how are our kids doing coming out of this pandemic? Being back in the school, it's to your point. It seems like everything on the news is, you know, um, there's a huge mental health crisis with our kids. I, I think I mentioned when we uh, first met a few weeks ago that I have a, a niece who is a teacher, and she had said something like, um, you know, the kids have gone feral. Like they, they don't know how to behave in school. I mean, and she's a teacher and she said that, uh, not, yeah. not in this state and in another state. So I don't know if you can kind of speak to that. Is, is our, is what we see on the news, is that really happening? Are our kids really that stressed? And they're, you know, they, they lost a lot of connection. We all lost connection for, you know, such a long time. Right. Well, I'll tell you, when we were in the middle of it, I remember having the conversation um, and with my team at the Georgia Department of Education and saying, what we used to do at that tier two level for students to, to provide that, that additional support to make sure that they're successful, we're going to have to start providing that to everybody. 
because of, of what you just described, we lost skills. And um, I really think what's going to happen is for those students, especially at formative years like kindergarten, pre-K, first grade, that they spent that time at home and never got that foundation, that delayed teaching of skills and behaviors is going to, I think, set them behind and we're going to see a ripple effect. Mm. Um, and so I think I think what we're seeing now is um, a, a, a time period where students lost instruction, not necessarily academic instruction, which they, they definitely did, but behavior and social instruction. And if you're at home in front of a computer and you're not having to interact with other people, you're not having to communicate with other people face to face when they bump into you, those social interactions, oftentimes you forget what's appropriate, what's not appropriate. Mm -hmm. And so I think what we're seeing now is um, students are trying to catch up on their skills academically, but we're trying to also catch up on those social and behavior skills as well. And it's going to take time for all three of those to catch up, which is, which, which is why I keep, keep such a close eye on data um, and and see how the students are responding mm-hmm. to being back face to face. I know for the adults that I work with, we're all so glad to be back face to face. And um, and I've been out visiting the districts um, for one on one meetings with my districts so that we can rebuild relationships, mm-hmm. because I think that happens when we get together face to face and and can be in each other's presence. And I think the students are trying to figure that out right now. But I think there's still just a lot of stress. There's a lot of tension just in the world and mm-hmm. in our country today. And people carry that. And then I don't even think they realize it's it's on their back and then something negative happens and and we react in a way maybe that we normally wouldn't react. Mm-hmm. And I think we're seeing that, um, and I think it's trickling down to our young people. Right. And, and we, 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 we've, again, we, we've got to teach the skills, and we got to let them know we're there for them. And, and we can't just think that you can punish it out of them because mm-hmm. you can't. We have to, we have to discipline them, which means we have to teach them. You know, discipline is that that Latin root for disciple, which means to teach. And in the work we do, we're all about disciplining students. I'm not real big on just punishing students for the sake of punishing, mm-hmm. but I do want I do want the consequence to be in a way that it teaches the students a lesson and mm-hmm. how to move forward. Mm-hmm. That's when I think it's effective. Yeah. yeah, and you know, as you were you were talking and you were talking about the world, it made me think about um, you know. Uh, what we as adults are modeling for our kids, right? When we go um, on an airplane and, you know, the person in front of us puts the seat back and we have a very inappropriate response or, or you know, when, when you had to wear a mask on an airplane and people were yelling and screaming at the flight attendants and holding up the flight or even going to a school board and, um, you know, yelling and screaming at the, at the board. I, I, just, I, I get the frustration, I, I do, um, but our kids are watching us. They're watching that behavior and we're giving them the message that it's okay. And, you know, um, Jason, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to start this podcast is because we've got to learn how to speak to each other, even when we, even when we don't agree. So, yeah. And then, yeah. so you, st- you talked about the, the data and you're watching the data and, um, uh, Jason mentioned the Georgia Student Health Survey, which is basically our surveillance system here in the state. So it asks about substance abuse. There's a huge battery on um, mental health issues, all that kind of thing. One of the things we know from uh, Michael Michael Waller's uh, work, Georgia Appleseed's work, is um, kids are not always disciplined the same. Like if you look at their toolbox, um, kids uh, who are uh, black and brown or have disabilities are often disciplined more harshly than kids who are not. So looking at that data is really important and looking at that data over time is really important. 
because um, it's going to help us know whether or not uh, the things that we're doing, whether a school be implementing part of PBIS or, you know, some, some, you know, some principles around that idea, because I, I know you and I talked about not all schools, you know, uh, are eating the whole enchilada. They're eating, you know, maybe the, the flour tortilla, but not everything <laughs> in the, in the middle. Um, yeah. So looking at that data is really important. It is. And, and, and when I work with schools around that data, um, and one of the things that I do is I, I, I present their data to them. Love in a it. Very, very non, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's planet fitness mentality. This is a non-judgment zone right mm -hmm. here. Here's what your data looks like. And then I ask them, consider three questions. What is it about your people? What is it about your policies? And what is it about your practices that's contributing to your data? Because there's something about the people, the policies and practices that's contributing to whatever your data set is. So, so maybe it is that you have a policy that you still allow corporal punishment. Um, maybe it, it's that your faculty and staff doesn't look like the students that you serve. Maybe it's that um, your administration is handling discipline when when they're very vulnerable and, and they don't understand vulnerable decision points. So I just ask them, let's reflect on your people, your policies and your practices that's contributing to the data. And then I say, is there anything in there that we can help you with? Is there anything with in there that we can help? Can, can we help look at policies? Can we help examine your practices? What is it that we can help with? But, but those things definitely contribute to, to um, you know, I, I don't think that, that it's always that they're, they're de deemed disproportionate, but I think there's an imbalance in, mm -hmm. in many of our schools. And we just have to be honest and take an honest look and, and realize, you know, what is it that we can control and what is it that we can get better at? But mm -hmm. it just takes an honest look at the data. Um, and we take a look at it in three categories. We do take a, a look at it by race. We take a look at it um, by gender, which is also very important. And mm -hmm. um, by um, your, your, this, our special education students that are mm -hmm. receiving services. So what is about your people policies and practices that's contributing to that data? And, and we use Michael's dashboard. Um, that's, I mean, it's perfect for being able to drill down. And I really encourage people that are listening to the podcast, that whether you're a parent or a community member, go to that, go to the George Appleseed website and drill down into your community mm -hmm. schools and, and see what it looks like. It's important to know. Yeah. And I will definitely put a, a link to that in the interview I did with Michael in the, in the show notes. Um, so what's the reaction when you show that? And I love that. I do data walks for communities all the time. Um, and it's very interesting. So what kind of reaction do you get? And when you, when you offer this help? Yeah. So um, I think sometimes they're surprised that their data looks the way it does um, when the, you know, cause they, they haven't really, you know, not practiced in drilling down. Um, but you know what? Here's the great thing in not one time has anybody said, yeah, that's what our data looks like. And we're fine with it. Mm. You know, every yeah. time they, they, they go, what can we do? Um, you mm -hmm. know, what can we start? What can we stop? Um, what practices, um, can we, you know, can we begin? How can you help? And so then we, we really start writing some um, precision statements around their data to say, all right, what is it that you want to get better at? Let's start there. Mm -hmm. um, and then how can we do that? And let's action plan around mm -hmm. that. Right. But um, people want to get better. They really do. Mm -hmm. um, and what I have found is educators in this state want the very best for their kids. And they realize mm -hmm. if, if they're not doing the very, they, they want to get better. Everybody wants to get better. And, um, and, you know, I, I, I tell people all the time, operate from the mindset when you encounter somebody on the airplane or, you know, who's having a bad day and everybody I feel like is doing the very best that they can. And some of us don't have some skills that we need. And so our reaction may be what we know. 
Um, it's what we were taught. That doesn't mean that um, it's it's necessarily the right thing, but it's what I know. I'm doing the very best that I can with the skill set mm-hmm. that I have. Right. You know, and when we don't have the skills, we default, like you said, to, to what we know. It's like instinctual. It just like comes out versus if we have some skills that we can kind of put into place and whether that be mindfulness or, or breathing or I need a timeout you know, teacher, I need a timeout. I need to just be by myself for a while. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's such a hard time to be an educator. I don't know if I mentioned this to you, but years ago, I used to work in a treatment center and I was an education therapist to the kids that we had in, in treatment. Uh, and 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 the, those kids were in a world of hurt, but that was very different than standing up in front of a classroom within a school, within uh, sometimes oftentimes a hurting community or an under-resourced community, which also impacts, you know, family and child behavior, certainly. Sure. So what is it that people don't know about education and educators that they kind of should know? Would help yeah, them? You know yeah. yeah, that's a great question. Um, and, and, you know, one of the things that I, I think about um, often and, and I'm trying to, um, to, trying to open some doors is that most educators coming out of college prep programs, everything that you and I've talked about today, Ann, they don't receive training on those things. Really? No. So, you know, behavior um, and mental health, they, they don't receive those trainings. They're great in their core subjects. They're great with curriculum and instruction and the subject knowledge. Man, they do a great job with that. But we really don't do a great job of preparing them for behaviors in the classroom and how to deal with those things. And we've got to get better at it. Um, It's one of the reasons years ago we wanted to start the PBIS endorsement. It doesn't matter, and if you're in a PBIS school or district, it teaches educators about behaviors. And um, and I, I've I've worked with you know four or five colleges and universities around the state where I've gone in and taught some education classes and had the 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 honor of going back to my alma mater and and, and teaching in some of the education classes there. We've got to get better about our teacher prep programs and preparing our young people because what we see, Ann, is that they're leaving the profession in that three to five years. Mm-hmm. And when we interview them, you know what the number one reason is? Student behaviors. Mm-hmm. They, they, don't, they don't have the skills. And here's the thing, Ann, remember what I just said, the te- they're doing the very best that they can. But we, we didn't prepare them. Mm-hmm. And we've got to do a better job of that in teacher prep programs. And I think if we're able to do that and they have the skills to manage the classroom behaviors and understand what students are going through, mm-hmm. I think they'll stay with us longer. Mm-hmm. You know, the first thing that I, told, I tell each student um, group that I go and work with is we need you and we got to have you. This, we need you to stay. Mm-hmm. What is it that we need to invest in you? so that you'll stay. And really that's what mm-hmm. my work here in Reese right. is about. And what is it that I can invest in teachers? Um, and so that they'll stay. And I, I taught a youth mental health first class, uh, youth mental health first aid class in, um, uh, last month. And um, I had 34 educators here on a Saturday all day. Wow. That lets you know mm-hmm. if they're willing to give up a Saturday to come and get right. those skills, they really need them. Right. Yeah. And and I just have to say, as a parent of three kids who went through the Fulton County system, well, Cherokee a little bit, and then Fulton County, um, you know, I, my husband and I tried really hard not to be that parent that said, no, not my kid. That whatever, whether they forgot their fill in the blank, their homework or their test or what, whatever it was that they forgot, that was not the, that was not, we were supporting that teacher 100%. Not that we didn't support our child, but the way we supported our child was to support the teacher in what they were trying to achieve in our child. And maybe we need a little bit more of that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and that's, and and that's where we have to look at it as that true partnership. And I think, I think that's what you saw it. I'm in a Mm -hmm. partnership with this teacher 
here here's where the here's where the rub comes and is what if you're a parent who didn't have a really good experience in school mm -hmm. what if you didn't have a good experience right. with a teacher now why would i want to be a partner with them again yeah and, and that so is very we, true right yeah I, I don't know if you've ever heard of uh uh, Donna Beagle, she works in the in the poverty space. And she says that a lot for kids, especially who grew up in poverty, generational poverty, whose parents did not have a good experience in school. It's very difficult for them to engage. So I don't want to be all uh, flipping and give the idea that all parents should have that. For me, um, in my crazy dysfunctional home, school was a very safe place. Right. Hence, hence the three letters at the end of my name, because I couldn't get enough school. But you're absolutely right. That is not the case for many people. Yeah. And, and you know, it's interesting. I'll tell you a quick story about that. Um, a few years back, um, I was um, at um, Michael Waller's awards uh, ceremony, mm -hmm. um, the Good Apple Awards. And, and uh, we had the opportunity after the awards to talk to a board member of one of our school districts in central georgia and uh, and he said that that day he had talked to um, an elementary school principal and um and she told him the story that um she arrived at school and when she walked up to the door there was a little girl curled up asleep at the mm -hmm. front door of the school and the principal walked up and um she woke the girl up and you know said, sweetheart, you know, what are you doing here? And the girl looked up and she said, and I get choked up telling the story every time. Mm. She said, there was a shooting in my neighborhood mm. and I ran here because I knew I would be safe at my school. Oh my goodness. So she yeah. left her home and all of that and went to the one place where she knew she was going to be safe. Mm -hmm. And that was her school. And she waited there until someone came and opened those doors. Um, so that's, that's what we need mm -hmm. the schools right. to be for our, for our communities and our families. Right. Yeah. And I would, you know, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't recognize that sometimes schools are, they, they aren't, they don't feel safe. They have, Correct. they have been violated in in pretty horrible, horrible ways. Yeah. Yeah. So Jason, is there anything else you'd like to talk about that we haven't <clears throat> touched on? Excuse me. Um, you know, and I just, uh, you know, I just think, uh, I go back to, um, you know, kind of, kind of what I said earlier and that is, um, you know, just for the people that listen to your podcast when they're dealing with, um, their schools or their teachers or and, and teachers who are dealing with students like everybody's doing the best they can. It's a really tough time right now. Mm -hmm. And if somebody is not being successful, look at it as a skill deficit and not a will deficit. Mm -hmm. I like that. I like that. So, uh, Jason, when you look to the future, what community possibilities do you see? Um, wow. Um, you know, I think that, um, uh, I, I'm hopeful, um, that some of the things that, um, that have not been on the table for conversations, the mental health, the social, emotional, that, that those are on the table and that we as communities look at those as societal and community problems that we all have to pitch in and address. Um, again, it's a, it's no judgment. Mm -hmm. um, we all are carrying something. Mental, mental health, mental wellness is a continuum that every single person is on. We're all on it. Yeah. There's days that my mental wellness is better than others. There's mm -hmm. moments that my mental wellness is better than others. Mm -hmm. um, and, and we all are on that continuum. Mm -hmm. um, and we, we have to recognize that and that we're, we're really trying to do the very best that we can um, given the skills mm -hmm. that we have. But it, it's going to take communities to pull together. Mm -hmm. If we want our, our nightly news to change, which I hope that we do, then we, we've all mm -hmm. got to pull together for that yeah. and make yeah. it change. Yeah, absolutely. And we can do that by being kind to each other. Um, 
by uh, thanking a teacher, just like we do when you see someone in the military and you say thank you for the, your service, say thank right. you to that teacher. Uh, there's probably not an elementary or a middle school that wouldn't benefit by having mentors or people to read to kids. There's so many things that you can do, right? In your own community at your neighborhood school, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. I was uh, I was up in one of our districts this past week, and um, and that was part of the conversation of the leadership team was how do we get more people involved in those types of activities? How do we get them back supporting our schools and back supporting our students? And mm -hmm. just know that um, that school districts and schools want you. They want you mm -hmm. to to support them. They want you to participate. Um, just a matter of asking. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jason, if people have follow-up questions or want to learn more about uh, the work that you do, how can they get in touch with you? Yeah, I would love for them to. So um, I'm here at Northeast Georgia RESA. And so um, you can reach me um, on our website. Um, we have links there. Um, my um, email is jason.byers, and Byers is B-Y-A-R-S at N-E-G-A-R-E-S-A dot -E org. That's northeastgeorgiaresa.org. Love for them to reach out to me um, and uh, see if we can connect, see how what I can do to support them. So um, thank you so much. Awesome. I'm so grateful that we had an opportunity to, to meet, even if it's uh, virtually, and to have this conversation. And maybe I'll see you at the next uh, Good Apple Awards. Yeah, I would love to. Thanks so much for the All time. Right. Today, thank you. everybody. Thanks so much for joining me on today's episode of Community Possibilities. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. If you would be so kind, would you please like and share this episode? Tell somebody you care about, somebody who does community work about the podcast. That would help so much. Also wanted to let you know that we have revamped the resources page on our website. So if you go to communityevaluationsolutions.com, go to our resource page, you're going to find a whole new look and a new tool, the Nonprofit Evaluation Capacity Self-Assessment designed to help your organization make informed decisions and take action to build a stronger program evaluation for your nonprofit. Uh, coming soon is a coalition capacity self-assessment, so be sure and look out for that. Thanks, everybody, and I'll see you next time.